In the heavens, our parents single, no, the thought makes reason stare. Truth is reason, truth eternal, tells me I've a mother there. Eliza R. Snow. In the Gospel Topics essay on the church's website about Heavenly Mother, it states, Susie Young Gates, a prominent leader in the church, wrote in 1920 that Joseph Smith's visions and teachings revealed that the Divine Mother is side by side with the Divine Father. Welcome back to In Her Image, a podcast where we are seeking and celebrating our Mother God through scripture, scholarship, the arts, and everyday life. We are your hosts, Kate and Jess, and we are delighted today to introduce our guest who you will most likely recognize. Our guest tonight is a therapist in Southern California who helps people heal from religious trauma and navigate faith transitions. He started the account at Our Mother in Heaven and for the last five years has been exploring the doctrine of Heavenly Mother in intersectional ways. She shares both what the church has said about Heavenly Mother and features guest submissions by others on her account. And she has done a lot in this space. So we're so excited to welcome Danielle Calder. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Jess and Kate, for inviting me so we can talk about this. I absolutely love to talk about Heavenly Mother. So it'll be fun to be with you tonight. Yes, you've been doing it for a while. So we're grateful to get to pick your brain tonight. So I wanted to jump in with asking you about the quote that you shared in our anchor? Why are those quotes meaningful to you? Yeah. So what I really love about this topic of Heavenly Mother in the LDS context, in particular in the Gospel Topics essay, is that so much of what we know about Heavenly Mother comes by way of women who shared what Joseph Smith taught them. So Eliza R. Snow, wrote those lyrics that became the, the hymn, Our Mother, or, Oh My Father, and then Susie Young Gates, which is really cool and I think is really missed by a lot of people, recalls Joseph Smith teaching her that the father and mother walk side by side. And to me, there's a really good chance that that was in a vision. Um, that is a very visual description. And if he's having visions, that would imply, right, that, that there's a good chance that that's how that was revealed to him. And I'm so grateful for Susie Young Gates and Eliza R. Snow, who were prominent leaders, female leaders, women leaders uh, in the church, and for their leadership in sharing this. Because in 2022, we are still quoting from them and learning from them. And I think that speaks a lot towards how, yes, male leaders may know about this doctrine, but they're maybe not the ones spreading it or sharing it or including it. Uh, But it has been on the backs of women who have done that. And I'm so, so, so grateful that they recorded their thoughts. It's one thing just to say it out loud, but we have documents, I assume. I'm not that much of a historian. We have enough evidence to say, this is when they said it, this is how they, they recorded it. So, I think there's a lot to be said about initiative as well with Eliza R. Snow. She took the initiative to write this down in a poem, I believe, that became the hymn. And 
she could have just thought about it or she could have just, you know, told her kids or told her family. But she, from her advocacy, um, even such a long time ago, we are still benefiting from it. And I'm just so grateful for them. Yeah, I I love that you kind of spelled out that precedence that in the beginning of the restoration, at least, um, women were the ones speaking up and, and sharing about Heavenly Mother and we continue to do so. Um, the majority being women. And of course, we are grateful for all the men that do as well. Yeah. And what I really like as well is recently in the kind of online space, there have been a lot of queer creators and influencers who are also talking about Heavenly Mother and are really expanding the conversation to discuss how gender and sexuality fit or maybe don't fit with the LDS framework regarding the nature of Heavenly Parents. And I think these conversations are so important to have. And I think that our community, our larger Heavenly Mother community is ready to really hold space for these creators to share their feelings and their thoughts And it's just such a beautiful, I think, evolution of this conversation. And so I saw recently that you said that you had a Ron on your account, um, featured as a post. And then it also sounds like on your podcast as well, talking about his journey with Heavenly Mother and what that looks like. Um, I believe the discussion was about maybe a transgender understanding of God. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that was. A fairly recent episode, episode 46, A Gender Expansive Perspective with the Roan Billings. Yeah, I, I'm just really grateful that you had him on your podcast. Um, and it's been really fun to see also how people that work in the Heavenly Mother space, I can only speak for myself, but also in my observations, we have all had our own shifts of expanding this doctrine or at least uh, shifts in understanding how it impacts people, especially um people that are queer. Um, and I also want to just be very clear as well that when, when I am kind of online working in this space, that's something that I, that I'm really mindful of because sometimes what happens is a member, a traditional member, for lack of a better word, might learn about Heavenly Mother and then immediately say something like, well, blah, 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 blah. Therefore we can or we should heaven forbid, exclude queer people from the celestial kingdom. Um, And I just think that that is so, so, so sad um, that that happens. And I think there that we can include um, these discussions at church, on podcasts, online, and also understand how it's impacting everybody, um, including people who are marginalized. So I just wanted to, to draw attention to that episode and say thank you for expanding this conversation beyond maybe how it's typically explored. Mm, thanks for bringing that up. We thoroughly enjoyed having your own on and learning from their perspective and also just enjoying his his writing and his artwork. And we look forward to having more conversations with people of all different perspectives and backgrounds and orientations and identities. I think it's really important that we include all of those voices um, because each one has something a little bit different to add. And I think it completes the picture and shows us a more clear understanding of our parents who we believe birthed 
all of us, right? So if we understand each other better, I think we get to understand them better. And bringing it to you personally, Danielle, um, I love that you brought up intersectionality. I think that's really important. And you have set such a good example for all the rest of us, whether we're just having conversations with family members or creating and curating content publicly. And you were the first person to create an account that we know of about Heavenly Mother on Instagram. Um, like we said, you've, you've been doing this for five years. So how did your journey begin and why did you start the account, Our Mother in Heaven? So yeah, I created my account five years ago. Uh, Rachel Hunt Steenblick actually was the one to tell me that when she was preparing for a presentation or working on something, she went back to see whose post was the first or who had the kind of the first account. And she let me know that um, that my post, my first one on my account, which was about the young women's theme, was the first one that she could find. And also she reminded me that the changes that I was exploring in that post did actually happen two years later, which I think is really beautiful. And I hadn't really realized how kind of full circle that came because for me at the time, it was a really big deal to start an Instagram account about Heavenly Mother because I was still very much in that mindset of we shouldn't talk about this. It's shameful. You might get in trouble to talk about Heavenly Mother. Um, And to see that that these efforts are having ripple effects or that other people are also thinking about things like the young women's theme, it, it is validating to me that that was an idea that maybe other people also had and people in positions of power were able to make those changes. Um, so yeah, I created the account 2017. I was in between my bachelor's and master's degree. I was thinking a lot about who I was, what I wanted to do. I had a friend who tried tried to get me to listen to a podcast about Heavenly Mother and and I was interested in it, but I didn't know if it was approved. Is this the approved reading? Is this okay? Is this going to make me leave the church? Is this anti-Mormon literature? What's going on? (laughs) And I know it's kind of funny, right? We laugh about it now. I laugh about it now. How much a person can change in five years, right? I'm in a completely different place now. But at the time, I was very, very concerned about this. And I looked on the website and I wasn't sufficiently assured that it was going to be official. So I never listened to it, but it really sparked a curiosity. And then I went online, particularly on social media. Is anyone else talking about this? And I couldn't find anything. So I decided, well, how about I do it? And let's begin by exploring what the church has said. And let's make that very clear from the beginning. This is what the church has said about Heavenly Mother. And here is a collection of people's feelings towards those teachings. So I never want my account to feel prescriptive or preachy or telling people what to believe because I don't believe in doing that. But I do want it to be a resource for people to be able to reference and then also a way to amplify people's voices and experiences around this topic. Yeah, that's awesome. And so over time, like you said, you know, how much we can all change in five years or, you know, I think um, Jess and I can definitely relate to that. I remember having feelings like that when one of my friends brought it up and I was like, huh, okay. It's interesting how we kind of grow and expand out of that, like needing that authority, needing it to be 
um, exactly prescribed versus experiential for ourselves. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, one thing I wanted to add real fast is that I also have seen that shift recently online where there are so many people exploring Heavenly Mother and not just in the context of the church, which I think is really beautiful. I feel like it's, it's like law and order SVU, asked and answered. Like I object, ask and answer. That's always what I ask and answer. And I assume that's a lawyer term. Maybe it's just from law and order and the TV is lying to me, but I feel like we're good. We get it now. We can talk about Heavenly Mother. Here are all the quotes. What's next? What else? And I've really enjoyed that and seeing people not need a church quote. What are your thoughts? What are your experiences? What does this look like for you? And we don't need to reference a, a prophet or an apostle from over a hundred years ago to justify truth that we feel in our hearts independent of those church teachings. And so I'm kind of also aware of the bigger picture of how this conversation has evolved to what it is now. Because truly, just this was not a thing five years ago on social media. And now it really, really is. And I'm also so grateful for the artwork that we have. Because without Instagram, maybe there was a website somewhere that was collecting or a blog post that was collecting art, but there wasn't a space for that. And so that's also something so important to me is showing diverse depictions of Heavenly Mother and a visual representation. And I love also what you said at the beginning, maybe it was before we started recording, but how it's not just testimonies, it's artwork, it's poetry, it's personal exploration. Um, and there's so many different ways to connect with God. And we don't need maybe the church quotes to give us permission to do that because we can reclaim that for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, as a follow-up, I want to ask how it's been for you seeing other, all these other Instagram accounts pop up and, and enter the conversation. I mean, right now you have like over 12,000 followers. Um, anyway, I'm just curious. Yeah, it's been honestly really beautiful, um, to see. I mean, the, our culture has changed. I mean, it gives me, just as soon as I say that, I have goosebumps. It's completely, completely changed. I can only speak for the last five years that I've been aware and like watching and, and, and participating, but it has completely evolved to where people are DMing me. I talked to my stake president about Heavenly Mother. Uh, we just had a word council or whatever, and my bishop talked about Heavenly Mother or we had a Mother's Day talk all about Heavenly Mother. That, from my understanding, was not happening before at all, at all. And so I think there's something so beautiful about watching other people also take ownership of their beliefs. And it's just fantastic because we give each other permission. Oh, you can create an Instagram account about Heavenly Mother. You can share your testimony about Heavenly Mother. Oh, well, maybe I could do that. Oh, you could change the lyrics in primary to say Heavenly Parents and say they when talking about God. I'm going to do that in my primary program. And I, I've had people tell me that they like quoted me in sacrament meeting, which kind of made me feel really uncomfortable. I was like, oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> like, what did I say? Like, I'm scared. Um, but even just being able to reference an account or, or a story that somebody else shared. I just think that's beautiful because we all learn from each other. And I think the amount of content, the amount of podcasts, the amount of art, the amount of accounts about this topic show that there's a huge demand 
for this content. And there's a huge demand not only to share, but also to listen to each other. So it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And I think social media in part has really enabled those conversations to happen because before people, I believe, I assume, thought that they were the only ones. If you're not talking about Heavenly Mother, how do you know if anyone else in the room wants to talk about Heavenly Mother if you're not talking about her? So I think it has just, it's just been beautiful. It's just really been beautiful. And, you know, we had a conference talk that included Heavenly Mother um, by Elder Renland. And I, there are mixed feelings I have towards it, towards how that, how that all panned out. And um, I talked to MacArthur recently, I, her last name, I'm struggling with last names today. Krishna. MacArthur Krishna. Thank you. I know people's first names quite well. Their last names are harder. I spoke with her and she was saying how there were a lot of women in other countries who didn't even know about Heavenly Mother. They didn't even know there was a gospel topic essay. So maybe for us who are in this community, in this space, we're like, it didn't go far enough. I feel belittled. I feel unseen. Completely, completely valid. And also, there are entire potentially groups, stakes, that had no idea that this was a thing until now. And so I can kind of, now that I've simmered down, I could see, I can see the pros behind not only that Elder Renlund included her, but how he included her as well. That is so just awe-inspiring to hear about all the changes that have happened in the last five years since you started this conversation. And I loved hearing about how you talked about the young women theme before it was changed. It's like, wow, you spiritually created that. Maybe others did as well. And then now we're all experiencing the real life change that is our new young woman theme. And that makes me excited about like, okay, what else can we dream up? What else can we envision? How else can we spiritually create the things that we want to see for our sisters and our brothers and our friends in and out of the church? It was interesting too, going back a little bit to um, the talk about permission and how sort of in the beginning of your journey, you might start out, I feel like a lot of people start out the same way where they're, they do seek that permission and they kind of need the in from a trusted source, from a, a church leader. Um, most often from like a prophet or apostle, right? And then sort of as you like come to know Heavenly Mother personally, I feel like it changes. I feel like the doctrine of her has a big influence in changing the way that we kind of approach just life. Um, so I love to hear as a therapist and as a content curator, what do you hope to see happen for women in the church as they learn about Heavenly Mother? That's a really good question. I think one of the things that really comes to mind is ownership. And I don't think it's women's fault that Heavenly Mother is not included more. I blame men for that. I do. I do. Because they're the decision makers so much of the time. Um, And I also feel that we don't have to wait for them to include her. We can include her. And I hope that for people who are in church, who are in the church, um, who are speaking, having callings, 
giving talks, giving lessons, that they feel that authority and that permission to include her. I find a lot of value in reminding people about the scriptures, the how many scriptures do we have that say, ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Everyone for everyone that asketh receiveth and he that knocketh the door shall be opened. We have scriptures in the book of Mormon talking about how the mysteries of God will be unfolded unto those that ask things that have never been revealed will be revealed to those that ask. I do not believe that there is a cap to revelation. I think there's a huge difference between saying, this is what I feel like God said to me. Therefore, this is the truth and everyone should come follow me and these people are wrong and I am right. There's a huge difference between that and saying, I had an experience and this is what it was. This is what I feel God told me. This is what the Holy Ghost told me. And I think that a lot of times we're so afraid of going beyond the mark, having unrighteous dominion projecting our beliefs onto others that we might not realize that we have access to this information. We have access to God. I went to seminary. I served a mission. I know how to pray. I know how to read the scriptures. I know how to listen to the Holy Ghost. There is not a limit that has been predetermined that I'm aware of on what God is willing to reveal. And I want people to know that that's at least how I feel. That's at least my opinion about it. And we can be mindful of how much we share with others. We can be mindful of not casting our pearls before swine. We can be mindful with how we share this information. We don't, just because we feel like God told us something or the Holy Ghost told us something doesn't mean that we should tell everyone else that they need to do it or believe it too, because that gets preachy and self-righteous and problematic and all of that. And we have access to God. And I think that that is what I hope people take away from the discussions around Heavenly Mother, all of these incredible creators creating content, we can take our spirituality and our religion and our religious practice and observance into our own hands, and we don't need to wait for other people to do so. And I think this is really, really clear. I mean, my observation of the last several years in this space is not that maybe the church was like, the women need Heavenly Mother. The women said, we need Heavenly Mother. We are talking about her. And now the top down is now reacting to the shifts at the bottom. And I think having said that, there is also a certain amount of being realistic, not to burst anyone's bubbles, that there have been previous generations of women who have done the same thing. And it hasn't maybe resulted in the most change. And so I don't do what I do to change the church. I see that it has um, maybe, you know, coincidence. I'm not saying cause and effect necessarily. I feel that the church has changed because of these efforts around Heavenly Mother, Rachel's Gospel Topics essay, or the Gospel Topics essay and Rachel's piece with the BYU Studies um, article on Heavenly Mother. Um, so yeah, I hope that that, I hope that I clarified myself, right? Bottom up, top down, but we don't do it to change the top because we have no control over that. In my experience, it is exhausting to try and do something to change someone else's mind when you have no control over that. So I do this because it benefits me when I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's personally meaningful to me. I like to help others. I see that it helps others and hmm, maybe it'll change the church too. Love that. That resonates so much. Um, we had a conversation just last week 
and kind of, you know, concluded with that, like, okay, whenever I start getting frustrated that things aren't shifting from the top the way that I hope that they will, you know, I have to remind myself exactly what you just said. You know, it, this is about my relationship with God and how it's changing me. So, so thank you so much for um, teaching us that again. I don't think we can have too many reminders of that. Um, so that, that leads us, I think, well into our next question. So, you know, we mentioned that you're a therapist, um, and also you shared with us in a previous conversation that, um, as you surveyed the, your followers on Instagram, um, and other people in this space that you found that they're looking for help navigating nuance in the church. And so what does this mean, um, navigating nuance and what advice could you share with us? That is a good question. I'm smiling because I laugh that I use the word nuance in a previous conversation. That's one way to put it, right? That's one way to put it. Uh, lots of cognitive dissonance, lots of nuance, lots of questions, because we're not allowed to have doubts, but we can have lots of questions. <laughs> so we can use the word questions. Cognitive dissonance is just for a definition quickly is when our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, values do not align. And for me, for me, that's my joke. I would say for me, and I do this with my hands because <laughs> it's overstated in my life. I say that all the time. But also, I want to be very clear that I'm only speaking for me. <laughs> uh, I have seen that there is so much cognitive dissonance for me. There are so many things the church says or doesn't say that does not jive with my values and my beliefs. For example, LGBTQ plus exclusion. That is tremendously painful for me um, to witness and to experience. Uh, heteronormativity is perha perhaps an additional really core wound for me as somebody who was raised in the church. The idea that we are all straight, that, well, of course you're straight. Of course you want to be married to a man. Of course you want kids. Patriarchy, right? All of these things are so painful. And so I think when we, when we talk about nuance, a lot of people want to stay in the church and they don't know how because of the cognitive dissonance. So how can I pay tithing to an institution, to a church that gives money to an institution, BYU, that is actively discriminating against the LGBTQ community? So when we say nuance, I think that that is a blanket term for cognitive dissonance, frustration, questions, doubts, um, and just simply oppression. And so how can somebody be a member? Can they pay tithing and truly be an ally to the LGBTQ community under the circumstances? Can we answer temple question, temple recommended interview question seven and feel like we're being honest? Yeah, I disagree with a lot of what the church does. A ton. Like, let's talk about it. I mean, wh where do we want to start? Um, I'm, I'm upset that my daughter doesn't get to have leadership opportunities. I'm upset that when we're at church, she only sees men on the stand unless the woman conducting ha the music happens to sit on the stand. Like there are, I, I didn't, wouldn't even know where to start. Um, but it doesn't mean I hate the church. It doesn't mean I want to leave the church. It doesn't mean I don't believe in the church or that the church doesn't help me. So all of this is so immensely complicated and it's immensely personal. 
And I think at our core, as people raised in this church, we want to do oftentimes the right thing. We want to be kind. We want to be nice. We want to get along. And inside, under the surface, we're going to have to pay royalties, right? Under the surface, <laughs> there's so much bubbling up, whether we realize it or not. And I think a lot of times in the same way that people haven't wanted to talk about Heavenly Mother for fear of judgment, exclusion, disciplinary counsels, people are also afraid to say, I disagree. I don't like this part of the manual. That really hurt me, whatever. Um, and I think there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but it is really challenging. So that's the short story. That's the three-minute version of a much larger conversation. But I see that people, they, they're they looking for ways to stay. And one of the ways that people can stay or they feel like they can stay is Heavenly Mother, is a more inclusive idea of God, of Heavenly Parents. Excellent. Thank you. And what advice do you have as somebody who works with people, you know, as your profession, as your career, you help people through um, church trauma and faith transitions. So what kind of advice do you have? Again, I guess the three minute version, since we're just on a podcast and nobody's paying you for therapy right now, but what are some like tips and tricks for people who are like super identifying with everything you just said? <laughs> They're like, ah, what do I do? Yes. I think I can even like almost visualize a hypothetical person having listened to my ramble and feeling <gasps> like anxiety and like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. Like I envision this person having this big emotional response to what we're discussing. So if anyone is listening and that is you, breathe. You are not the only one. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. We're going to figure this out. There is hope. There is healing. There is joy. Whether you stay, whether you leave, you have options and it's going to, we're, we're going to figure this out together. So that's the first thing is me tending to the emotions of the hypothetical person that I don't know exists. So the therapist <laughs> is really coming out um, beyond breathing and acknowledging maybe the pain. I would say that there is not, I will speak for myself. I will really try to not project. For me, going again back to that statement, for me, I denied my pain for a really long time. I don't have cognitive dissonance. What are you talking about? This doesn't bother me. This is okay. This is justified. No. Validating myself was extremely therapeutic in my own healing. I recommend validating how you feel. If something feels off, what if it feels off because it's off? Maybe it's not that you need to understand it better. Maybe it is, or maybe it's just wrong or off and you have an inner sense of right and wrong, right? We believe this as members of the church, maybe other people not members of the church. Most people are good. Only 4% of the world's population according to the research, has antisocial personality disorder, which would fit into sociopath, psychopath. So that those people have a difficult time with empathy and understanding right and wrong, whatever. But everyone else, we have that, right? Especially if we're looking at it from the gift of the Holy Ghost. So your feelings are valid. Your opinions are valid. And it is exhausting to try and talk yourself out of how you feel. I did this for such a long time. I talked myself out of my feelings. If I was feeling uncomfortable at church, check out. Go on my phone. 
Oh, my daughter needs me. Whatever it was. Uh, But being willing to sit in my pain and see my pain, it becomes pretty apparent that something needs to be done because it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable to deny the pain and it's not sustainable to sit with the pain. But unless we sit with the pain and acknowledge it, there's no way to heal. And I think for women, for people um, who are non-binary, perhaps, I can't speak for for that, um, but for people who are maybe not cis men, we have potentially been put down and told that we need to follow our male leaders, our husband, whatever, whatever it is. And yes, you can listen to male leaders, you can discuss your husband, you can value these opinions, and really centering your own experiences, your own brain, your own thoughts, I think is really, really valuable because we have to validate ourselves in this process of healing. And that's what a therapist would help with. But that's really just the beginning. It's just the beginning of healing is to see the pain and to sit with it and to say, this is a worthwhile thing to discuss. I'm going to go discuss it. I'm going to go heal from it. I'm going to go whatever. Very vague, maybe an abstract, but that is my my answer to that question. I don't know how helpful it is, but that's that's the very beginning of hopefully many therapy sessions or coaching or however you prefer to heal. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. It's just nice to have like a a place to go, right? To know like, okay, at least know what the first step is and what one can do if they're feeling, if they're identifying with some of these experiences. So thank you. Yeah, I think that theme is really coming up for me a lot lately of like, we have to stay with (laughs) ourselves. I feel like I've heard some iteration of that. You know, we heard it from Bergen a few weeks ago. Like we, we need to look at the pain and, and not look away because heavenly mother, that's what she does. She comes to us, she sits with us and she doesn't look away. And we, we have to do that. We have to kind of reparent ourselves in that way of like, like you said, not just checking out or, or forcing your thoughts to think everything's fine. Everything's fine. You know, um, yeah, I think that's uh, basically you're saying validate yourself and then get help. <laughs> yeah, then then go and do something about it. And I absolutely love Bergen from Boom Circle. Um, mm-hmm. I greatly, greatly value her content and her maturity. Um, I look at her. I haven't told her this. I should probably go tell her. I look at her as a leader in this online space, truly, um, to just go off on my love letter to Bergen for a bit. I... I am tremendously impressed how she consistently validates people in different stages, in different phases, in all the stages of all the things uh, she validates. And I see her showing her own process and healing on her account. And it's just beautiful to witness. And I feel so much acceptance for myself when I see her show up authentically and share what's on her mind. Um, and it helps me to not feel perfectionistic as much about my own online presence when I see her vulnerability and her courage. And I just absolutely adore her. And I feel, you know, Instagram's so weird. It like, 
doesn't show content or shadow bans or whatever, her content is back front and center on my feed. And I am truly so, so grateful for it. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought her up. Yeah. is an amazing example of that. Are there any other like practices, like, um, thought exercises? I don't know what you could say, like, that that you would recommend when you're maybe in your ward and you're not feeling safe based on the conversation or or whatever's happening. Yeah, what would you recommend to this hype this hypothetical client of yours though? <laughs> it's a really good question. So I'm really glad you asked this. Um I think people ask me some version of this very frequently, and I'll just be honest in my response. Sometimes people are asking me because they want a tutorial on how they can handle church. I don't like church. It's not working for me. How can I like it better? How can it, how can the fruit be less stinky? The fruit smel- <laughs> smells like it's rotting in this particular area. What can I do? Right. I, sorry. If the fruit's smelly, it's probably smelly. And I know that is so hard because what do you do with that? What are you supposed to do with that? Right. And then other people can ask the question in terms of, no, I'm really ready to kind of confront this. What do I do? Right. So you see how the one is maybe denying and shoving it down and the other one is kind of ready to do something about it. So similar to maybe um, what Bergen has said, maybe similar to what I have said on here and many others is we need to acknowledge it. Ooh, that one hurt me. That, that, that comment, ooh, that one made me really uncomfortable. Notice how your body feels in church. When I ask people this, when I ask people, how does your body react? It's almost so shocking because people often are so disconnected from their own body and anatomy that thinking not about their mind, not about their head, not about the logic part of them, but their physical reaction to information, it is almost impossible to deny the pain that we feel, the discomfort that we feel, the anger that we feel when we look at the tension or um, if we become really fidgety. How does your body react to what you're hearing and how can you reunite with your body? Because a part of numbing and dissociating and shoving stuff away and putting stuff on a shelf is to deny, there's a certain amount of denial in all of those things or disconnection. But if we can stay connected in our bodies and notice this is the thought I'm having, this is the emotion I'm having, this is what my body's doing, bringing those in harmony and in connection or just a- awareness is really, really going to help. And also, your concerns about church or whatever are real and valid. You are not bad. You are not wrong. You are not less faithful because you have a certain type of reaction or a discomfort around certain practices. Um, And I also think, too, that sometimes people are very hesitant to acknowledge their pain because... They feel that if they fully acknowledge the magnitude of their pain, that it would be way too much to hold. I can't acknowledge my pain. I would leave the church. I can't, I can't, I would never go back to, I'd never talk to that man again. I'd never go back to that bishop, whatever it is. I don't, you know, I don't know these hypothetical scenarios. And I think giving yourself permission to feel and not needing to figure it all out. 
not needing to know exactly what it's going to mean for you is really difficult, but it's also extremely important. And just because you feel your pain, it doesn't mean that you have to set all these boundaries with church. You can still maintain your activity. You can be as active as you want. You can maintain your beliefs, your relationships, and acknowledge your pain. And when we say, maybe subconsciously, if I feel my feelings, then I will have to blank. The what comes next is so terrifying. It's so scary that we don't even want to feel anything because in many ways, it's like we're accountable for our pain. I'm accountable, right, for for the pain that I feel. Um, And what does that mean for me? And that can be really, really intimidating. So take it one step at a time. Feel your feelings. Connect with your body. It doesn't mean anything until you're ready to decide what it means for you. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's that's what yeah, I have. It is. It's very helpful. The body piece, I think, is so key and critical, and we're so very new at that, at least I am. And so it's really helpful to like be reminded of it over and over again. I need to be in my body and recognize what's going on. And I've just had this um, example coming to my mind as we've been talking for the last little bit of my five-year-old one weekend, she, not too long ago, she was just having a really hard time and she was just really grumpy and it like was lasting for days. And finally one day she just kind of burst out and said, it's hard being a big girl. And I, I just knew like, oh, that's, that's what's been bothering her. And I need to connect with her on that. And so um, a little later when she was, she was in a more happy mood and we were, you know, it was, we were far removed from anything triggering for her. I said, Hey, do you want to come out on the front porch and just chat with, chat with me? And she was really excited. Yeah. So she came out and we sat on the front porch swing and I just said, you said yesterday or this morning, whenever it was that you were, you, it's hard for you to be a big girl. Like, what what did you mean by that? And I just let her talk and she didn't have a ton to say about it, but you know, a little bit. And I was able to just help her like be in that and just to acknowledge, yeah, sometimes it is hard. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that is hard for you right now and that you have big feelings about it. And that's okay. You know, we all feel we all feel that way sometimes and you don't have to be bigger than you are. You know, you're allowed to grow at your own pace. And, but I think just the sitting with her first, um, you know, at first she was sitting beside me and then she kind of put her head on my lap and it was just this moment of like, like when, when we said reparent, you know, it, that just made me think of heavenly mother and like, I think that's what she wants us to do is to acknowledge like, yeah, sometimes being a big girl is hard. Sometimes being an adult and having cognitive dissonance or doubts or whatever is hard. And she can sit with that and she can acknowledge that and be with us. And sometimes giving it to God really can just be saying, this is hard. And I just know that she's here with us and will continue to lead us. And we don't have to just, we don't have to do it on our own. And sometimes it really is just as easy as acknowledging it. 
and then we feel better. So it doesn't have to be a huge, long rest of our life process too. Are you okay, Kate? Yeah, Kate, what's coming up for you? That's hard. <laughs> I don't know, just when you said, like, it's hard being a big girl. Like, I think I just felt that so deeply. <laughs> just, that's just how I feel right now. <laughs> it's hard being a big girl. It's hard being so many things to so many people and also being me for myself. <laughs> and like Danielle, what you were teaching us, like, I guess I'll speak for myself, but I don't think I'm alone that as women um, raised as we were in this world, um, you know, we're kind of trained like, you know, you just, you just grow up and you learn how to take care of everybody else. And then you, and you just can't wait to have kids and you have kids and you get to take care of them constantly. And you just, you just get to make sure everybody else's like emotions are validated and life is good. And somehow like you can't, you know, you're not included in that list of people to take care of. And so then, yeah, when you said like, you know, I've, I've felt that just like, okay, there's this bubbling, like something making me so grumpy. And then just like, but the truth of it is like, it's just hard being a big girl. It's hard to do all these things. And, and then like the imagery of, you know, putting your head on your mom's lap. And I think that's why we need Heavenly Mother. <laughs> yeah, because it's hard and she knows and she's just going to ask us about it and listen. I love that, Kate. I think what you're saying and what Jess said, it's like she can hold that pain she sees us and it's safe with her. It's safe to let that, that part out that feels sad and overwhelmed and frustrated and all the things. Yeah. And I think just like, you know, I was starting to say, I think over the past year, I've really been like, um, staying with myself, you know, starting to take care of myself in that new way of like speaking up or just like acknowledging not stuffing and, and everything. But it's like, I've been juggling all these balls and then somebody threw me like another huge one, like a bowling ball. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to keep all of these things, you know, and, and that means I got to drop some and, and, and it's heavy, but exactly, exactly. She, she can hold it. So I will um, <laughs> kind of shift into some of our closing thoughts. Um, one of the things that sparked our needing to have you on ASAP was that you are organizing an event next month centered around Heavenly Mother, and it's in Utah, but we wanted to invite you to, to share with us 
how that came to be and invite our listeners and and let us know about it. Yeah, we are so excited to have a chance to all get together. So it's on June 25th. It's in the Provo City Library Ballroom. In that, it's a beautiful building. I'm so excited to be back into that space. Um, I went recently when I was up in Utah to look at it, and I just, I cannot even tell you how excited I am. So, yeah, we are putting together an art show. It starts at 5. We're going to have a ton of different artists coming together to share their depictions and their reflections of Heavenly Mother. And then we have a fireside beginning at 7, and we've selected speakers, and we have musical numbers in the works, and we're going to hear from people about their journey with Heavenly Mother and still kind of maintaining that doctrinal element that is traditional with Our Mother in Heaven. This is the church teaching. This is what stands out to me. This is how I feel about it. And we have a youth speaker. Uh, we have somebody who's non-binary. We have people of color that are speaking. I just can't wait to not only hear about Heavenly Mother, but hear from her, hear about her from people on the margins. And we're going to have ASL translation. We're going to have accommodations for people who need ASL, American Sign Language Translation. And I hope it's just going to be a beautiful and healing experience to come together. The The Fireside and Art Show, I think it's going to blend two things really nicely. One is that it still is going to explore and approach the doctrine of Heavenly Mother according to church teachings. Um, and it's also going to give people a platform in which to share their feelings as well as the doctrine. Additionally, it blends the traditional element of a fireside, opening prayer, opening song, speakers, all the things, refreshments after, uh, potentially, I'm not going to commit to that right now, but hopefully <laughs> there's some refreshment of some sort, um, while also not needing to get things approved by a bishop or by a stake president. Um, and there is a panel of people who hold marginalized identities helping to make these decisions. And I think that is really beautiful because I know for me as a white woman, a cis white woman, I have a really hard time going into a fireside. Who's talking? What are they going to say? Am I going to leave more upset than had I just not gone at all? Um, that's unsafe for me let alone for people who hold even more marginalized identities than I might hold at any one given time. And so the the talks have been, the, the speakers have been intentionally selected and the talks are going to be reviewed ahead of time, not to censor people, but to maybe offer a bit of reassurance that we are being aware of various ways in which a talk or a message could be hurtful, you know, and we can't guarantee everybody's safety at the event. And we are also being really mindful to center people who are marginalized and to help those in attendance of our event also be aware uh, to avoid racism, microaggressions, bigotry. Um, and I hope that it can be 
a really beautiful space for people to come together and just to feel loved and to feel like they can connect to God and to participate in religion, like all the good elements. I don't want to start labeling it as good or bad because that'll get me in trouble, but (laughs) taking the (laughs) fun or positive elements, ditching the parts that are not fun, and then adding in new things, right? Um, So just something simple such as we're going to have songs but the songs, there might be a guitar. Um, it's not a hymn, right? They're not all hymns. So those sorts of things that you can't do maybe in a chapel, it's not going to be against the church teachings, but it's also it, the venue provides more flexibility. Let me put it that way. And I think that it is really, really beautiful to see people saying, I want a space to talk about Heavenly Mother. I can't really do it in a chapel. Can't really do it in a chapel. So I'm going to go do it myself. And I, I want to say that I'm so grateful for everyone from the beginning who have volunteered, donated money, donated time, donated their talents to make this happen. This is 100% a community effort. And there are people who donated from all over who can't even be in person but want this to happen. And so we're also live streaming it and recording it. Um, and there might be also a little surprise at the end of the fireside, a musical surprise um, that I'm not quite ready to announce yet, but it'll be fun. And if you can be in person, I recommend. Um, so yeah, we're really excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. I hope, I hope people can come virtually or in person. It's going to be great. That That's a really great teaser right there. I think it was good that you didn't reveal. <laughs> um, so how can people like, find it. Yeah. I don't know if you said what it was called and how people can get tickets. Yeah. So we're calling it the Let's Talk About Heavenly Mother art show and fireside. All of it was funded in 75 minutes on Venmo, which was incredible. Let me just say this really fast. It was insane. I was like thinking it was going to take weeks to fundraise. I was already like embarrassed for myself thinking that we weren't going to get the money and I was going to have to like go back on Venmo and refund everybody. And I could not even, I could not even type up an update on my story because ding, 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 ding. And then I had to recalculate. So it was just, I mean, chills every time I talk about that. And that does not not speak for how many people desperately want an avenue like this. So no tickets are needed. Just show up. There's no dress code. Come as you are, wear whatever you want, bring whoever you want. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Also, we will have a Zoom link that people can click on that is saved in a story highlight. So it makes it super easy just to click on Zoom. And we're also going to be live streaming it on the actual Instagram account. Um, so if you want to just go on Instagram, it will be there. It will be there. Heaven forbid we have some technological issue or some Instagram glitch, but there will both be in-person option, Zoom option, and uh, Instagram live. So we hope to make it really accessible for everybody. It truly has reached people from all over. And I'm just, I'm just excited. I just can't wait to see what, how it all comes together. Um, yeah. So. We're, Yay, we're thrilled. So great. That's so exciting. So just if you would like to participate online, just go on Instagram to Our Mother in Heaven and you can catch it there. And for our last question for you, Danielle, 
We will love to know how has Heavenly Mother changed you? I really appreciate you asking me that. I'm not often asked that. So I need to like take a second, right? To like really let that sink in. I think for me, getting to know Heavenly Mother and developing a relationship with her has been extremely validating and just so uplifting. I know that she values me and therefore I can value myself and I can see myself through a much larger point of view and perspective. I can, I can imagine the part of me that existed before this life that might exist after this life. And you think feeling fully seen and validated by her and then also just knowing that it's so much bigger than just me. It's so much bigger than what's happening right now is really helpful. Um, and also to know that I can become healed in the way that she is healed, um, that it is possible to to learn and to grow and to progress and to become a resurrected, perfected being is extremely motivating, especially with how difficult life is and how much pain there is in our nation and in our world. Um, Heavenly Mother offers me a lot of hope, both for myself and my own progression and salvation, and then also just hope that healing can happen. I find so much value in Heavenly Mother, Heavenly Father, and Jesus Christ because I fully believe that we can heal. And for me, that's the whole point. Progression is healing. Perfection is healing. All of this goes back to healing. That's what the Savior did time and time again. It was about healing. And if I didn't believe it was possible to heal, life would just be so completely unbearable and I wouldn't be able to be a therapist and and help my patients and see all their pain without knowing that it could somehow be better. And knowing that there is a female role model is just incredibly moving. And it has just really, it has really personally benefited my life and blessed my life in, in, a, in an infinite amount of ways. And it has also allowed me to continue to have a connection with heaven that feels authentic and that feels safe and that feels meaningful and individualized. And I think that she is my access point to many other things. Um, so I'm very grateful. Thank you so much, Danielle. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been excellent. Yeah. It's all, I love talking about this. So anytime, anytime, absolutely. It's been fun to, <laughs> to be with both of you. Thanks. And thanks for everything that you do on your account. And with the event that you've put together, you are just unstoppable and we love to see it. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. And if you haven't yet, please leave us a review. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can make a monthly donation at anchor.fm slash inherimage. We hope you'll tune in next Sunday for another inspiring episode. Mm-hmm.